Well, one of my favorite Christmas movies, one of my favorite Christmas movies is The Nativity Story. It was released in 2004, and it was based, of course, on the nativity of Jesus, the birth of the Savior in Bethlehem. It begins, though, in Nazareth, where Mary receives a promise from God that she will bear a son, and she will call him Jesus. From there, she goes to visit, so she leaves there from Nazareth, and goes to visit her relative, in Elizabeth, who is pregnant with child in her own old age. And she will bear John the Baptist, the cousin and eventual forerunner of Jesus, whom you just heard uh, uh, Tony read about. But then she travels back to Nazareth and reunites with her family and Joseph, her husband-to-be, who was shocked to learn that she was pregnant, most likely. It was in the movie it shows that she, he's shocked to learn that she's pregnant. God visited Joseph in a dream to reassure him just in time for them to hear the order from Caesar calling for the census. So guess what they do? They travel to Bethlehem. And then meanwhile, as they're doing all this traveling, the movie shows three wise men traveling from the east to meet them there in Bethlehem. Something stand out to you? Well, what stood out to me from the movie was that everyone seemed to be in motion. If you watch the movie, it is a story that is on the move. The Christmas story is a story in motion. Joseph and Mary were moving. The wise men were traveling, and God was on the move, like Aslan. Aslan's on the move. God was sending his son, Jesus, to earth. And this Jesus, whose name means he saves, that's what Jesus means, he saves, would save us and deliver us from our enemies, even deliver us from our own selves. And he moved from heaven to earth to do so. He moved from heaven to earth, and he became the pathway for us, the road to God, so that we might might move to Jesus, through Jesus to God, and walk with him on that road for the rest of our lives. The Christmas story is a story in motion that can be summed up by saying this, behold, your God is coming to save you, which is the title of this sermon. Behold, your God is coming to save you. What I want to do today is I want to read through Isaiah 35, 1 through 10 with you, and I want to briefly put it into context. Actually, I want to put the whole uh, book of Isaiah into context very briefly. And then I want to walk through a four-point sermon with you, uh, uh, an outline that's got four points that summarizes the message of Isaiah 35. And this four-point outline is simply this. The message of Isaiah 35 is a report, I don't know if you can read that part, is a report of good news which leads to a response, a result, and a road for the redeemed. A little bit of alliteration there because I'm a pastor. So that's what it is. Isaiah 35 is a report of good news which leads to a response, a result, 
and a road for the redeemed. So let's read through the passage. Uh, You can find it on page 595 in your black uh, pew Bible there if you'd like to follow along. I won't have it up on the screen, so if you want to follow along, that'd be great. So let's read through the passage, then I'll pray, and we'll dive in. Sound good? Okay, here we go. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. Or in the King James Version, it says a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, as Handel's Messiah says, unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, and the streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. (laughs) <laughs> that is Isaiah 35, dramatically uh, uh, read by your pastor. <laughs> let me, uh, let me uh, pray and we'll get started. Lord God, we hear, we see, we feel the desert wilderness in our lives, especially in our society. We feel the culture around us as sometimes like a spiritual wasteland. And yet we read that it shall burst into blossoms and shall rejoice. We shall, it shall rejoice the spiritual dry land that we experience. And Lord, we want to come and respond with faith at the coming of Jesus who came to save us. Lord, we pray that as we hear this message today that you would put these seeds of faith within us that, we would, that would sprout and grow into hope and trust in you and would blossom into fruitful, fruitfulness and joy. God, we just thank you. We pray that right now you would give us this experience in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Okay, so uh, let me give some brief context to the book of Isaiah and to this passage in particular. Because I don't know if you, how you are, but when I read the prophets, sometimes I get lost. What is going on? I'm going to give you kind of a, a backdrop of Isaiah's life in the context he gave this in. Okay, so the first verse of Isaiah, oh boy, I guess I'm, I got too small up there. I know, can you read that? Maybe a little bit. Uh, I'll just read it to you. The first verse of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 1, says this. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Okay, Mike. <laughs> so, okay, so you get all these names. Well, what, what do they mean? Well, here's the context of Isaiah. So Uzziah, um, who uh, uh, was otherwise known as Azariah, or as, let me see if I get that right. Uh, yeah, Azariah. He was a good king. Jotham was a good king. Ahaz was a wicked king, and Hezekiah was a good king. So Isaiah's call to ministry, chapter 1, came during Uzziah's reign. In his vision, you can see where Isaiah 6 is there? 6 verse 1. His vision in chapter 6, where he sees God on the throne, came the year King Uzziah died. That's what it says in Isaiah 6 verse 1. Came the year that Uzziah died. After that, Uzziah's son Jotham reigned for 16 years. Then his son Ahaz, his son Ahaz, reigned for another 16 years. And finally, his son Hezekiah reigned for 29 years. So if you add 14 and 15, I have it up there for a reason. You'll see in a minute. So Uzziah, Azariah, that's his other name, Jotham and Hezekiah did what was right in the, in the eyes of the Lord. That's what it says. They did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. They were good kings. But Ahaz was not a good king. He worshipped Baal. He shut and locked the temple door. Could not get in or out. He shut it up. The temple. And if that's not bad, he sacrificed his sons in his worship of his idols. Now he's in the line of Jesus. <laughs> That the, all of these guys are sons of David and they lead to the line. So those sons, so Hezekiah was one of the sons that survived. But his other sons, he sacrificed. That was Isaiah. That was how bad he was for 16 years. So Isaiah 6 occurred, like I said, the year that Uzziah died. Isaiah 7 occurred over 16 years later during the wicked reign of Ahaz. Read it. Isaiah 7 verse 1 says that. It happened during the reign of Ahaz. Isaiah 14 happened, it occurred during um, the year that King Ahaz died. So that's 14. In Isaiah 36, if you jump to Isaiah 36, the verse directly after chapter 35, it happened 14 years into King Hezekiah's reign. So does that place the, the, the timing of Isaiah 35 for you in your mind? 
the passage we'll look at today comes shortly after the 16-year reign of an evil king who closed the temple to worship the worship of God and personally practiced idolatry. This context helps us understand why the opening verses in Isaiah 35 refer to a desert and a spiritual wasteland because of what was going on during King Ahaz's life. In addition to that, these prophecies come in the context of a growing hostility and warfare in the nations all around them, including Assyria and their eventual taking of the northern kingdom. So all of that was happening during Isaiah's life. And, and you can place it in, in the times of the kings because the, the writings of the, the passages of Isaiah are tied to these kings. Okay, So that's the context. And like I said before, God was on the move. Even in the midst of that, God was on the move. One commentator said that the prophecy, the prophecy contained in Isaiah 34 and 35, they go, they go together, 35 is the second part, they seem to be a summary of all that Isaiah had uttered before. And they were designed, they were designed to show that all the enemies of God's people would be stopped. Enemies within, enemies without. And while the people of God would be delivered and saved, all of the intervening deliverances pointed to a greater deliverance under the coming Messiah. That's what's going on in this story. So with that context, let's dig into chapter 35 using this little outline, which will go faster than you think. And um, uh, Isaiah 35... Isaiah 35 is a report of good news which leads to a response, a result, and a road for the redeemed. And as we dig in to this, let's look, let's be on the lookout to see God on the move, just like in the Nativity story. So as we look at this, let's look for God on the move. Okay, so first, the report of good news. So if you, uh, if you are still on that page, I'm still going to go through the, the chapter a little bit. The wilderness and dry land shall be glad, it says in verse 1. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. Terms like wilderness, dry land, and desert are physical descriptions, are they not? It's a description of a physical place. Wilderness, dry land, desert. But what will happen to them is much more than physical, right? It says they'll be glad and rejoice. How does a desert be glad and rejoice? These words are personal, emotional, and spiritual words. So it seems that these terms point to a spiritual condition, the spiritual condition of Judah at the time of Isaiah's ministry. And they point to the human condition in general, the spiritual condition of humans in general. That which was dry, inhabitable, and lifeless shall be joyfully glad. That which was sterile and barren will rejoice and blossom and flourish. It's compared with the crocus. And when do you see the crocus? Every year? popping up out of the snow, 
First sign of spring. In the KJV, it says rose. And so the song that was uh, played uh, with uh, Hannah and, um, and, and Brett, uh, you saw the words up there. That, is, that, that was inspired by this, uh, by, by this verse, actually. Blossom like the rose. This is what God can do in our lives. Take us from a spiritually dry place to a blossoming like a rose, a crocus popping up in the spring. This is what God can do in our lives if we trust Christ, if we follow Christ, if we become disciples of Christ according to the gospel of Christ. Abiding in Jesus He can make us blossom and flourish in the midst of the desert. He can, and he does. The report of good news goes on in verse 2. It wasn't enough. He had to illustrate it more in verse 2. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. That which was formerly dry, lifeless, and unfruitful will blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. In this text, if you study it and you go into the Hebrew, there are two instances of the use of redundant words, redundant Hebrew words. Twice it it happens. Rejoicing with joy and blossoming abundantly. The Hebrew words are repeated. It's like saying they will blossom with blossoms and they will rejoice rejoicingly. (laughs) How else should something blossom (laughs) but with blossoms? And how else would somebody rejoice but with joy? Isn't that wild? It's just that's an intentional thing that is going on In that chapter, it's meant to add emphasis. It reminds me of what the angels said to the shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem on the first Christmas morning, does it not? In their report of good news, they said, I behold, I bring to you good news. It's news that cannot be bad. It's news. It's not old news. It's not fake news. It's not bad news. It's good news. And... It's marked by joy, not just any joy, great joy, joyful joy. (laughs) That's like what he's saying in Isaiah 35. They shall rejoice with joy. Well, how else are you going to rejoice? You've got to rejoice with joy. Wow. I love the way the message puts this particular verse. It says, bursting into blossom, a symphony of song and color. As we prayed this morning, some of us pray in the back room, Tony said the word color, or Susan did, I can't remember which, Um, but just this color, this this sense of, it's all around us at Christmas, and it's significant and and meaningful for, for what's going on with Jesus coming. The New Living Translation says this, yes, there will be an abundance of flowers, an abundance of flowers. Noral, when we were having our babies, um, and we had a bunch of them, um, she used to love to quote Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa used to say, saying there's too many children 
is like saying there's too many flowers. <laughs> and Noel used to love to quote that. There will be, yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. And with the abundance of flowers comes beauty and sweet aroma, does it not? It wafts in. All of this is topped off with an exuberance of joy, experiencing God in life in His name, whether it be happy times or sad, rejoicing with joy, blossoming with blossoms. The references to the glory of Lebanon and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon are meant to add luster to the regional contextual meaning, but they're somewhat lost on us who are from away. <laughs> from away of Israel, I mean. Carmel, Carmel was emblematic of beauty, if you look it up. Lebanon was emblematic of majesty. Sharon was emblematic of fertility. The, end, the New Living Translation finishes up the verse saying, the deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel on the pl- or, or the plain of Sharon. There, among God's people, the Lord will display His glory. There, among God's people, the Lord will display His glory, the splendor of our God. And that's what God was doing on Christmas. And that's what God has come to do to save you and I. He has come to display his glory and the splendor of our God, not just in the afterlife, today and now. That's what he's doing. He is coming to save you. Okay, so um, Isaiah 35, we see a report of good news, but that report should lead us to a response. What's the response? Well, verses 3 and 4 say, Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. I'm glad it says feeble here, because in some versions it says, Strengthen the weak knees. This is the the namesake of our family, the weak knees. I know, sorry. But I like feeble knees better. To make firm the feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. That's what Isaiah is saying at the very beginning of this summary prophecy so far, of all the, sum, of all the prophecies given. He will come and save you. Our response to the report of good news is to take courage, to take courage. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the wobbly knees, settle the anxious heart. Do not be paralyzed by fear. Put your hope in God who is on the move. God will come to correct the injustice and oppression of this world. He will come and save you and me. Isaiah said he will arrive. And he did arrive in their day, brought them back from Babylon. And he arrived on this earth in Bethlehem in the form of a baby, baby Jesus. God came to the world. The Word became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. 
in the form of Jesus. And God is arriving still in our day. He is on the move, and he has come to save you and me. That's the story of Isaiah 35. The story of Christmas is full of good news for us, is it not? Full of good news. God from heaven saw our spiritually dry existence without him. He saw our failures and shortcomings, knew that we could not pay to correct them, what was sufficient to pay. He knew that, and he was moved with compassion, not judgment. He was moved with compassion. So he sent his only son, Jesus, into this world to be born as a baby, like we all come into this world, to be born as a baby in the manger, to live among us, and to die on a cross to fully satisfy his justice. And the good news is that if we believe in him, if we receive him, we can be right with God, blossoming with blossoms and rejoicing with joy in this world and the next. But this good news deserves a response. And the response is to simply receive it with faith and hope. You know, this week, I, uh, one of the things I get to do, uh, because Stephen is teaching over at Chop Point, he's in charge of all the devotionals. I should let you know about that. You should, you'd love to go there. Um, and so um, he has asked a couple of us, a bunch of us, he's always trying to get someone to do devotionals. So this year, I've done seven devotionals out at Chop Point. David's been there. He's been in all of them. <laughs> And uh, I focused on the gospel. So for six of those seven, I just unpacked the gospel with all these different illustrations I could think of that tried to put the gospel in terms that, that people of David's generation could, could move their hearts toward. Um, but on Tuesday this past week, I went there and I talked about the response. What's the response to what you've heard. And I asked for a volunteer. And I brought the volunteer up front, a guy named Sam, and I reached into my wallet and picked out a $20 bill. And I said, Sam, I'm going to tell you some good news. I want to give you this $20 bill. Isn't that good? And he says, yeah, that's good. And so I said, okay, you can go ahead and sit down. I'll put, I'll put the $20 bill back in my pocket. Everybody's like, no. <laughs> Everybody's like, what? Everybody's complaining. So I piled them back up and I said, okay. Well, uh, Sam, apparently everybody who's not satisfied with that, do, do you want this $20 bill? He said, yeah, I want this $20 bill. Of course. He said, you, know, he said, you didn't earn it, right? I'm going to give it to you for free and no one else is offering you a $20 bill, right? No. I said, okay, well, I, I want to give you this $20 and you want it. So I put the $20 bill back in my pocket. I said, okay, go ahead and sit down. It was like, no, no. <laughs> so I was illustrating something, right? I said, oh, okay, Sam, well, what do you have to do to have this $20 in your possession? He said, well, I have to receive it. I said, yes. So I held it out, and he took it. He put it in his pocket. I said, okay, go ahead and sit down now. Everybody was like, yeah. <laughs> That's what the gospel is like. It's insufficient for me to be up here and tell you the good news. Because in order to have it, you have to receive it. And what 
Isaiah is talking about here is that there's a response to the good news. Our job is to stop being paralyzed by fear and put our hope in Jesus. He has already accomplished all we need to be right with God. Establish your hearts. Put your faith in Him. He has come and the Lord's coming is at hand. He has come to to save us. This is the encouragement from James 5 that Tony read in the scripture reading today. Behold, your God has come to save you. Trust in him today. Trust in him today. Okay, I'm going to finish this up here fairly quickly. So then, what would be the result from the good news that leads to a response? What would be the result from that? The result would be restoration, refreshment, rest, and refuge. Yes, I was alliterating to death here. Restoration, refreshment, rest, and refuge. Think about it. The eyes of the blind would be opened. That happened. The ears of the deaf would be unstopped, as it says in Handel's Messiah, or unstopped. The lame man would leap like a deer. Did that not happen in Acts chapter 4? It did. The tongue of the mute would sing for joy. The waters would break forth in the wilderness and streams in the deserts. The burning sand would become a pool. The thirsty grounds, and then become an ice rink if you're at our house. Okay. And the thirsty grounds, springs of water. The inhabitable haunt of jackals. That'll be a place where you lie down. (laughs) And the grass shall become reeds and rushes. These are some of the signs of the coming Messiah that Jesus encouraged John the Baptist with in the scripture reading that Tony read from from Matthew 11. So what's going on in that chapter in Matthew 11 is John sent a note, a, a messenger to Jesus and said, are you the one we're waiting for? And Jesus didn't say yes or no. He just said, this is what's happening. Go tell John this is what's happening. And based on that, in his understanding of Isaiah 35, he said, the Messiah has come. (laughs) The Messiah has come. And he took encouragement from it. That's what's going on in that Matthew 11 passage. But that's not all. That's not all. There is a road for the redeemed. This road is meant for you and me. This road is meant for you and me as followers of Christ, of those who have been redeemed. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong. This way of holiness shall belong to those who walk on the way. It's their road. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Boy, isn't that comforting. <laughs> when I read that to Narelle and Narelle and I were talking about it, I said, boy, that's comforting because sometimes I'm just a fool. And even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. No predator will eat you up or damage you or go after you on the way of righteousness. They will not be able to keep you and stop you 
and destroy you spiritually on that road. And the redeemed, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. They shall return and come to Zion with singing and joy that lasts for a very, very long time. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and in sorrow and sighing shall flee away. <laughs> and that is the message from Isaiah chapter 35. It is a picture of God on the move that results in moving us to Him in right relationship with Him as we move on the road of life in our return to Him with rejoicing, restoration, refreshment, and rest. In all of this, as we travel on this road, all of this, as we hear this report of good news, deserves a response. I'd like to close by suggesting that you make such a response to God and to the good news today. If you'd like to do that, please pray with me, and then I'll just make a couple statements afterward. But please pray with me right now if you'd like to do, do that. Lord God, I hear this report of good news in the midst of my wilderness and desolate experience. I could really use restoration, refreshment, and rest. I could really use that, Lord. I hear that you are coming to save me and that you've already come through Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, Emmanuel, God with us. I recognize that Jesus came to earth, lived among us, and died on the cross for my failures and shortcomings so that I can be forgiven and free so I can be right with you. Lord Jesus, I accept, I receive your gift of forgiveness. I receive you like that $20 bill. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thanks for inviting me to walk on the road for the redeemed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, before we sing our last song, I'll just say this. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, if anybody's in here who prayed that for the first time, please let someone know. Let me know if you can so that we can be helpful to you. Amen.